This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is episode number 63. We're rattling through these, aren't we? Coming up, we'll speak with Rich Laverty about the forthcoming Lionesses matches and we'll also see what UEFA have been up to with the Nations League and also some news about next year's European Championships and where England will be playing. Now, following the two friendlies against Belgium and Norway in August... England's Lionesses take on Brazil and Portugal at the beginning of October, Saturday the 5th and Tuesday the 8th to be precise. They'll be looking for some better performances this time around as they haven't won in four games. Now Phil Neville announced his squad on Tuesday the 24th of September, surprisingly with only 20 players rather than the usual 23, 24, 25. Now that squad is... As follows, goalkeepers, we've got three of them. Carly Telford of Chelsea, Mary Epps, Manchester United, who made some cracking saves in a recent game against Arsenal, and uh, Manchester City's Ellie Roebuck. Defenders, plenty of them. Abby McManus, Manchester United, Demi Stokes, Manchester City, Leah Williamson of Arsenal, Lucy Bronze of Leon, uh, Millie Bright, Chelsea, Rachel Daly of Houston Dash, Steph Houghton, Manchester City, Ify Mannion, Manchester City, and Alex Greenwood, also of Lyon. Midfielders, Kira Walsh, Manchester City, Jordan Nobbs of Arsenal, a welcome return to her. Jill Scott of Manchester City in there as well. And up front, Beth Mead of Arsenal already got one goal in the WSL so far this season. Jodie Taylor from Rain FC in the States, uh, who are currently fourth in their domestic league. Nikita Paris, she went to Lyon in the summer. So far, she's got three goals over there. And Beth England of Chelsea, she's got a goal to her name as well. And Fran Kirby of Chelsea. They are the 20 names on the list as it stands at the moment. And there are actually, in fact, three training players uh, who've been picked for the team. Alana Cook, Mel Lawley and Chloe Kelly. I'm hoping that Rich Laverty will be able to elaborate a little bit more on that uh, when we speak to him. Now, Middlesbrough's Riverside is the venue for the Brazil game. Now, from my records, I don't think the women have ever played there before. And the amount of times the men's seniors seem to have faced Brazil, you'd have thought, it would be the same for the women. Now, it may come as some surprise when I say that this will only be the third time they've met. England have got the upper hand with regards to results, winning the two previous encounters. 2-1 earlier in the year at the annual She Believes Cup, and before that, a 1-0 victory in 2018. And then Portugal will be the opposition on the following Tuesday, as the Lionesses fly down to Setúbal, which is just outside of Lisbon. And like our history against Brazil, we have a good one when playing Portugal. In the eight previous encounters, five of them have been wins, two draws and just the one defeat. And the last time we met was the last group game, 
of the 2017 European Championships, when goals from Tony Duggan and Nikita Paris meant we ran out 2-1 winners. Right, let's have a chat with Rich Laverty. I'd like to welcome back to the Three Lions podcast our regular co-host when the uh, when the women come round. Rich Laverty, hello there. Hi Russell, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for coming back on. Uh, of course, the Lionesses are back in action at the beginning of October, facing Brazil at home, and then a uh, a trip to Portugal uh, coming up. Both are friendlies. All friendlies now leading up to the European Championships. So, uh, yeah, there'll be a few games coming our way. And, of course, with the Olympics as well, which we're going to touch on. But immediately, Rich, the, the squad has been announced. What takes your fancy there? I think that we've got a, a midfield again. Obviously, there's been a lot of questions in recent camps and, and even at the World Cup um, about Lucy Bronze obviously playing in there. Some people don't mind it. I've got to be honest, I'm not a massive fan of it. So it's nice to see Jordan Nobbs, um, particularly, back in the squad. Obviously, she's been out for a long time. Jill Scott's back in the squad. Frank Kirby's back in the squad. So we've suddenly got a sort of dearth of options in there. So we've, with Kira Walsh and players like that added into the mix as well. Yeah, it's not too different. Obviously, there's been a few dropouts, a couple of injuries. I was more interested by the training players that he's brought in. Obviously, the last camp, he brought in a couple of the youngsters like Anna Patton um, came in. This time around, Chloe Kelly's in, who scored two absolute wonder goals for Everton the other week, and she made a debut last year. Mel Lawley's in again. And Alana Cook, which is really interesting, because she's an American defender, um, actually played for their under-20s quite recently. She plays for PSG in France. She's very highly rated, and apparently she qualifies for England. So we're not going to see her in the games, because she's a training player, but it's interesting that Phil is sort of now widening his scope to sort of look at players that qualify for England. Obviously, we had Uber Gargoyne as well before the World Cup, who was at Orlando at the time. So, yeah, it's really interesting that he's kind of, rather than just narrowing it down, he's he's really sort of upping it and then, I guess, putting more pressure on the players there to perform because they're going to have to, they're going to, have to do so to keep their places. Yeah, so these training players, is this something relatively new what's what's the objective behind it just for them to get some experience within the england camp yeah it's not massively new i mean it happens on and off i don't think there's any sort of set routine for it mark samson used to do it occasionally he brought quite a few in before the world cup um i think it's a good opportunity you know when you've got a few players missing through injury um because he's only actually selected 20 in terms of the whole Mm. squad obviously you get 23 so he's brought three in um, as training players, he brought. A, I don't think he brought any in the last camp. I think Anna and one or two others were actually in the squad. They just didn't really play. But yeah, I, it's a good opportunity for them, you know, and not just to be around the squad, but you know, to train with them, to kind of be in that environment. You know, you're there for over a week. Obviously, they're going to go abroad as well to Portugal, so it's kind of integrating the players into what that environment is like, I suppose, and what it's yeah. what the demands are like physically and mentally. When you're away with the team and you're sort of with them every second, every minute of, of every day for sort of eight, nine, ten days, whatever it is. So I think it's good. I don't have a problem with it, really. You know, you want to see sort of these younger players getting a chance and it, it's a great opportunity for them. 
Well, I can certainly do no harm. Uh, we mentioned the players there that have returned, Jordan Nobbs, Jill Scott, Alex Greenwood. He mentioned Frank Kirby as well. But we've got no Tony Duggan. She's she's injured. And what, what's the situation with Farrell Williams? Because she was obviously back in the squad for the Belgium and Norway games. Is, is she injured at the moment? or? I don't think so. I think Farrah... It's sad, but I think Farrah is obviously coming towards the end of her... Days with England, we didn't see her for a while. She didn't go to the World Cup. I think it was, you know, with a few injuries that we had to, to players like Jordan um, and Fran, and obviously Jill was rested. I think it made sense to kind of bring an experienced head in, especially for what was two away games. You know, again, like I said, when you're away with the team for so long, I think it it helps to have those experienced heads um, around, especially with quite a few younger players coming into the squad. I'm sure Farah will be in, you know, when she's needed, but I just don't see her being sort of a regular feature in the squad from now on. Right. I mean, by the time this podcast comes out, we'll be three games in to the the WSL season. Is it a little bit too soon, or are there too many friendlies that are going to be coming up for the for the national sides? It seems quite quite early on in the season. Yeah. Is it disjointing things? Yeah, it's difficult because I don't know whether it gets magnified year after year because it it happens more regularly. But, you know, the FIFA windows don't really change. You know, you kind of know that you have the one at the sort of start of the season. You then have the one at the start of October and then you have the one in, in November and then you're sort of done until after Christmas. It's difficult because at the end of the day, you have to get those qualifiers in. You know, teams have to find... A spot, you know, to play qualifiers for for the European Championships, which obviously England are not doing. Um, teams in other confederations have to qualify for the Olympics. It's difficult because there is a balance there, obviously, between the domestic game and obviously the international game. And I don't think there's a lot you can do. You know, these FIFA windows are sort of set three, four. I think they're set right through to something like twenty twenty four now. Right. Um, and they all sort of fall in around the same time. It is a little bit frustrating. It is quite stop-start. You know, you have sort of two games, then you have an international break, and you have two or three more games, then you have an international break. But don't really know what the solution is. You know, at the end of the day, you have to sort of fit both domestic and international football into sort of what is a nine, ten-month window. So I, I guess it's, it's a bit of give and take, really. Yeah, and I guess the fact as well they are friendly is it's maybe not as so, so hyped up as if they were qualifiers. There'd be a little bit more around them, I guess. More, mm. um, I, I don't know. Uh, but so we've got Brazil. Play Brazil on Saturday, the 5th of October, up at the Riverside in Middlesbrough. Is that a game you're going to be going to? I won't actually be there, unfortunately. It just clashes with some uh, Sheffield United Academy stuff I've got going on. So right. I'll actually miss the game, but it's, it's an interesting match-up. I mean, we've played Brazil a few times recently. We played them around this time last year. Um, in Nottingham, we played them at She Believes at the start of the year. I think it's been more interesting this time around because kind of they turned things around a little bit at the World Cup. They were going into it really in, in really terrible form, and they sort of did quite well. You know, they, they were close to knocking France out. You know, who were the hosts and a very good team, and and now also more interesting that they've got Pierre Sundaga at, at the helm. You know, an absolute legendary coach, and it's going to be very interesting to see whether she can sort of restore them to, I don't know whether their former glories is the right way of putting it, because I think they're a long way from that, but they've obviously got some great players. 
And yeah, I think it's almost going to be more. It'd be interesting to see how England react because obviously we've had a couple of difficult games. But also, it is actually going to be interesting to see how Brazil do, sort of under a, a new manager and you know a manager that is so synonymous in the women's game as as Pierre is. Yeah, I mean England are going to be under the spotlight really, considering the the results, like the friendly result, results against Belgium and Norway, and of course the way they I don't know, they sort of fell out of the the World Cup that last third or fourth place so there's they're on a run of well haven't won since the uh the quarter finals i guess wouldn't it mm. be so the spotlight's going to be on them and then they and they head to portugal don't they yeah i don't really know how how portugal are in the women's game i've got to be honest because i don't think they were at the world cup no so you're right in terms of the spotlight will be on england and rightly so you know if a team like england doesn't win in four games with the players we've got Alarm bells start ringing a little bit. Obviously, it is split up between two of those games at the World Cup and two of them were friendlies. Um, so the team's changed a bit, priorities changed. But mm. it was worrying in the last two friends for me just how poor we looked at the back. People said, oh, we had key players missing. Yeah, we did, but they were kind of attacking players. You know, it was Fran, it was Jill, it was Jordan. The defence, you know, was still quite strong. Steph was there, you know, Millie was there, Lucy Bronze was there. So we weren't really lacking players. We just looked very unorganised, um, very nervous. It's a good chance. I think if we came out of these two games without a win, you'd be very, very worried because, like I said, Brazil are not the Brazil that they used to be in Portugal, a lower rank. But then against so were Belgium. Um, mm. And they gave us a good game. We played Portugal at the Euros two and a half years ago. It was a hard game to judge because Portugal were kind of sort of new on the scene at that time and it was our final group game and Mark Sampson basically rested the entire team uh, about one play and we still won so I think Portugal are a little way off but yeah I think with these things it's as much about the off-field stuff it's about as much as the actual trip abroad and taking the players away and sort of integrating the new faces um, and I think it is I think it'd be a good test in terms of trying to sort of work out how to break down you know Defences where teams sit back and, you know, Portugal will have some skillful players. You know, you get that from those kind of teams. You know, they'll have some players in their team that can cause you problems. And at the minute, England need every defensive test that they can get because we really need to see some sign of progress uh, because we're not going to win an Olympic Games and we're not going to win a European Championship defending the way we are at the minute. And that's just the brutal reality of it. Mm, so is that... A good thing. I mean, we all wanted to see Jordan Nobbs back, but with Jordan Nobbs back, that means surely Lucy Bronze goes to that back line, doesn't she? Well, what was the thinking behind putting her in the middle? Uh, and do you think it was a mistake? You'd have to ask the manager that one. But, uh, <laughs> well, when I yeah, get a chance, I will. Everyone's kind of had a different... And look, at the end of the day, it is experimenting, and you know, it, it's not the end of the world to do it in a friendly. I just think... I just feel it's counterproductive. You know, she's... Phil Neville quite openly talks about Lucy Bronze being the best player in the world. Um, If she is, it's because she's a right-back. You know, that's where she's forged her reputation um, as the top right-back in the world. And, yeah, to then just say, like, you know, I'm going to put her in midfield seems a bit odd. You know, you wouldn't put Lionel Messi at left-back, for example. You know, she's the best player in the world, so... Like Lucy can do a job there. I don't think she's terrible in there. I just think you just lose so much of, of what we're good at when she's not at right back. And yeah, I'm sure we'll see it again. I'm not a fan of it. 
you know, it's nothing against Lucy. I just think you've got the best right back in the world player at right back. Um, She's where she belongs. And yeah, I hope now that that change, you know, we've got obviously Jordan Nobbs back, Frank Kirby back, Jill Scott back. You add in the likes of Kira Walsh, there's no real justification to play Lucy in that position. It's up to Phil. Look, obviously, Phil sees a lot more of her. He sees her training, you know, all the time and obviously feels she can do that role. And I think to an extent, can do it. I just think you lose so much of what she is good at and what makes England a good team, um, taking her out of that sort of natural position. Yeah. Now, Phil Level's got, um, is going to have a lot on his plate over these these next few months and years, what with the, the European Championships in 2021 in this country. But before that, uh, not only has he got the Germany friendly in November, but the Olympics in Japan, Tokyo next year, he will be taking charge of Team GB. Um, now, how's all this going to work? Because um, perhaps a lot of people may not be aware of uh, just how much the the Team GB will take out of his time. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. And this is a position that sort of Hope Powell found herself in back in 2012, where she took Team GB to the Olympics and then she took England to the Euros a year later. And the Euros were an absolute disaster. Uh, I'm not going to start saying it was to do with the Olympics or anything, but she kind of handled it. It was a very different squad. You know, the Olympic squad was very experienced. Uh, the players that she called in from the other nations were very experienced by one or two. And the Euro squad was quite inexperienced. A lot of newer players came in. So I'm, I'm quite interested to see how it works because for a starter, you only get 18 players. Right. So you take into account, we took 23 to the World Cup. That's five that have to go straight away. You add back in Jordan Nobbs, maybe someone like Izzy Christensen that, that missed the tournament. You sort of say, look, Jordan's an absolute guarantee. Mm. So then you're probably saying that's six that have to go out. Then you start thinking about if you bring in a couple of Scottish players, Welsh players, you know, you, and there's a chance of that. You've got Jess Fishlock, you've got Sophie Ingle. You got Erin Cuthbert, Caroline Weir, Kim Little. There's every, there could be five, six players coming from the other nations. So then you look at it thinking he might end up dropping half of his World Cup squad for the Olympics. What really interests me is, and this isn't really a criticism, this is a reality that you know he's bringing a lot of young players. We've just discussed that the likes of Anna Patton, the likes of Chloe Kelly, the likes of Lauren Hemp, Aoife Mannion's in the squad now and. They're going into the Euros in 2021 without any kind of major tournament experience. And the Olympics would be massive for them in terms of gaining experience. You know, the, the, the occasion, the, mm. you know, the whole world watches the Olympics. And it'd be very easy for him to say, do you know what? I, I have to be kind of selfish and prioritise my young English players. Do I take Lauren Hemp over Erin Cuthbert? You know, because he might work with Erin Cuthbert at the Olympics and then never work with her again because she's Scottish. Yes. You know? Do you hinder your own players, you know, in terms of to just sort of be fair to the rest? It's a very difficult decision, and I don't envy him. Um, I mean, he's been quite straight in saying that he will pick Scottish players and Welsh players and maybe Northern Irish players, I don't know, but it's a very difficult one. And then you sort of think, well, even before you start thinking about Welsh and Scottish players, how loyal are you to the players you've got now? Because we had eight players in the World Cup squad that are over the age of 30. Karen Khan is obviously retired, so you're down to seven. Mm. How many of those players will be able to play for England in two years at the Euros? Will Jodie Taylor be at that level? Will Carly Telford be at that level? Will Jill Scott? Will Ellen White? You know, you don't know. So 
It's very, it, it's so difficult, you know. If you didn't have the Olympics, you'd probably just say he's going to start prioritising the young players right now. But the fact you've got that kind of squeezed in the middle makes it really difficult between, stay, you know, Jody Taylor could probably play for England Team GB next year, you know, and then you think about the, the year after after that, but it's kind of just stuck in the middle, really, in kind of no man's land in terms of right in the middle of where your young players are developing, right in the middle of where your older players are possibly coming to the end of their international careers. But then you throw in the Scottish players, the Welsh players. It, it's so difficult. And the fact you can only actually pick 18, he, he's got probably 35, 40 players he could pick, and he can't even pick half of them. So his Is priorities it? in terms of, you know, I think he has to sort of just be kind of ruthless and treat it as a separate entity and not as a warm-up for the European Championships because at the end of the day, it is a different team. It's Team GB. It's not England. So, But there has to be that feeling inside of, you know, what a great opportunity it would be for Lauren Hemp, for, for Aoife Mannion, etc., to get that experience before a major tournament. But, you know, I don't think it's going to go down too well with the Scottish and, and Welsh players if, mm-hmm. you know, he's sort of just completely biased and picks 18 English players, which I don't think he'll do. But it, it is really going to be very interesting. I'm actually really interested to see how it develops over the sort of next what we've got, sort of 10 months or so. Yeah, because there's a danger that he could, I'm sure he'll he'll play it correctly, but maybe alienating some of the players that he intends to take to the Euros, but not to the the Olympics. It's a real juggling act for him. Yeah, Uh, you could sort of go to a with some of the older players, you know, the Jill Scotts, the Stephs, and say, look, you're not going to go to the Olympics because I need to prioritise maybe my younger players or the, the players from other countries, but you'll come back in for the European Championships. But are you conceivably not going to take, you know, he's been quite open as well by saying his best players at the World Cup were his more experienced players. And he's probably right in terms of Jill Scott, Lucy Bronze, players like that, you know, Ellen White, you know, they were as, as best players at the World Cup. So you kind of want to stay loyal because at the end of the day, we had to qualify through the World Cup, so it was those players that got us there. And they're probably the ones that therefore deserve to go to the Olympics. But, yeah, in terms of remaining loyal to them, and you've kind of got this triangle, you know, at one end, staying loyal to the, the older players, the second part, giving experience to the youngsters, and then the third part is bringing in the Scottish, Welsh, Northern Irish players. And, yeah, you're not going to be able to keep everybody happy. Um, that's just a reality. And, yeah, I think as the tournament gets closer and closer, it is going to be... I think it will shape itself. You know, I think towards March, April, we'll sort of get a feel for, is he going down the youth route? Is he going down the experienced route? Uh, we're obviously not going to know until the Olympics which players from other countries come in. You can't call Erin Cuthbert or Caroline Weir up for an England friendly, um, unfortunately, because they're great players. It's a shame, but... Yeah, it, it it really is strange. It's 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 a very sort of unique position to be in. I'm sure he's been on to Hope Powell. Um, obviously, she's been in that position herself. I think he'd be mad not to kind of you know take her advice. Yeah, it's it's a really difficult position. I think everyone's quite intrigued to see how it plays out. Yeah, well, well, likewise. So we'll uh, we'll keep tabs on that going forward. Um, so I mean, do you, do you predict us to come away with two wins these two games, Brazil and Portugal? Yeah, you never know what to put it with England these days. Um, <laughs> we should. Brazil will be difficult. You know, they'll be rejuvenated under Pia. I don't think things were exactly perfect under the previous regime. They, they've got good players, you know. If England defend the way they have been, 
you're up against Marta, obviously, you know, has been one of the all-time greats, but Dabinia um, at North Carolina Courage is a fantastic player. You've got Ludmia at Lake Madrid, who is one of the fastest players I've ever watched. You know, they're going to cause you problems. You've still got Formiga in there as well, who must be, she's 40, 41 now. <laughs> um, she's still playing, she's still quality, so, like, you can't underestimate them. Nice. Uh, Portugal, we should be beating. We, we should, you know, but... You know, I said we should have beat Belgium, um, and we didn't. So, yeah, I think we need to start turning it around because if we don't do it in these two games, you know, Germany suddenly looming on the horizon um, becomes a big sort of pressure match, you know, in front of what is going to be 70-odd thousand um, people at Wembley and against one of the top teams. And you don't want to be going into Christmas having not won a game in sort of six, seven matches. So, yeah, I, I think we'll definitely get at least one win. I think he'll be looking at both. And, Hopefully we're back on track, but look, win or lose, we just need to see some improvement in the defence. Even if we win 4-3 and we still look you know, bad at the back, I don't think it's going to sort of appease everybody. If we win 3-0 and keep a clean sheet, then it's a different story. Um, we just need to see some improvement back there because I don't think whatever Phil says or whatever the players say, I don't think they can ignore that you know it wasn't good enough um, against Belgium and it wasn't good enough against Norway. Well... Let's hope that we can uh, we can speak again before that Germany game. We can look back on these two games with uh, with some positive highlights. Hopefully, yeah. Rich, thank you very much for your time, and, and yeah, we'll speak again. No problem. Thanks very much. The Nations League doesn't seem to have been given many column inches recently, but the UEFA suits have all sat round the table and examined the group stage process for the next instalment, due to start between the 3rd and 5th of September. Now you may remember, it was a three-team group and we were drawn with Croatia and Spain in the top-tier group. With the top team winning a place to the finals, in our case, that trip to Portugal. The bottom team would be relegated to the second tier of teams, in this case, Croatia. And as you may also remember, alongside Croatia, down went Germany, Iceland and Poland. And Ukraine, Sweden, Bosnia and Herzegovina and Denmark were all promoted in their place. Well, that meeting in Ljubljana in Slovenia, no doubt over the finest Lieberfraumilch and Bavarian sausages that the German UEFA representative could supply. Here, try this sauerkraut too. Well, they all deemed that Croatia, Iceland, Poland and Germany all be reprived and make up a group of 16. Now, this same process has been filtered down through Leagues 2 and 3. League 2 will see Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales and Republic of Ireland all together. So we'll now have four four team groups and according to UEFA this will increase the number of competitive matches and reduce the number of international friendlies. There'll still be four tiers. League 1 contains 16 teams as does Leagues 2 and 3 whilst League 4 has seven teams which is an awkward number but apparently that's going to be split into a four team and three team group. So League 1 who's in it? Those 16 teams are the four Nations League finalists from last year, holders Portugal, 
ourselves England, Holland and Switzerland, Belgium, France, Spain, Italy, Bosnia-Herzegovina, Ukraine, Denmark and Sweden, and those four reprieve teams, Germany, Croatia, Poland and Iceland. I wonder how much fist pumping and table bashing that the Germans actually did. And UEFA said, hmm, maybe we should let them back in. <gasps> maybe we can change the format. Who knows? Anyway, match day one and two will be in September, three and four in October, and five and six in November. We'll find out our three opponents when the draw is made on the 3rd of March in Amsterdam. And like this summer, a final venue will only be chosen from one of those four finalists. So from one complicated tournament to another, Euro 2020 is next year. And we know that Wembley is hosting both the semi-finals and the final. And we knew that England would have two home group games. We now know that if, and it's a big if, Scotland qualify through a playoff and they would play England. And this has now been determined to also be at Wembley. Scotland currently fifth in Group I, clearly aren't going to automatically qualify, but because they finished top of their Group C Nations League group, they secured a playoff semi-final. Now reading BBC Scotland, as it stands at the moment, they would face Bulgaria, who finished second to Finland. Finland are on course to qualify automatically, which is why their playoff berth has gone to the Bulgarians, or would go to the Bulgarians. And the other playoff semi is expected to be between Norway and Serbia, who are both struggling to qualify automatically. I hope you're still with me, but this can all obviously change. And with the games coming up over the next few weeks, I'm sure it may do. Let's wait and see. Anyway, thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much to Rich Laverty for his time talking about the Lionesses. As always, you can find Rich on Twitter. He is at Rich J Laverty. And you may remember previous podcasts. We've spoken with Dom Smith from EnglandFootball.org. We had a chat for his website and he's been kind enough to put it up on there. Uh, you can find that at englandfootball.org. Tells you a little bit more about well, well, myself and how the Three Lions podcast came about and my thoughts on the national team. We'll be back very soon with the Euro 2020 preview podcast. We'll be previewing the Czech Republic and Bulgaria. Looking forward to that one. Looking forward to a, uh, a little time away following the Three Lions. You can find us on our social media pages, Twitter at Three Lions Podcast. Search the same for Facebook. Search the same on Instagram. And if you haven't done already, please do find us on your podcast provider. Give us a thumbs up there and a rating. That would be lovely jubbly. iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the usual. Uh, and also, threelinespodcast.com. I'll speak to you soon with that preview podcast for the Czech Republic and Bulgaria. Cheers. <laughs>